Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. Florida's new immigration law, Senate Bill 1718, is already having an impact even though it doesn't go into effect until next month. The new rules aim to crack down on undocumented immigrants and businesses that employ them. Among other changes, the law requires companies with more than 25 employees to use the federal e-verify system to confirm their workers are eligible to work here. Hospitals that receive Medicaid funding will be required to check the immigration status of patients and anyone who transports someone into Florida who entered the country illegally and who, quote, hasn't been inspected by the federal government could be charged with a felony. Governor DeSantis says the point of this new law is to, quote, combat the dangerous effects of illegal immigration, and he blames the federal government for that. The law's already having an impact on businesses that rely heavily on migrant labor, like construction and agriculture. As some migrant families are making plans to leave Florida, employers in those industries are reportedly worried about finding enough workers to staff their businesses. Mi nombre es Estela. Yo trabajo en el campo, en el field, en el corte de cabbage y pepino. Ese es mi trabajo. My name is Estela, and I work in the field, and um, uh, I work um, cutting cabbage and cucumber. That's Estella, a farm worker who came to Florida from Mexico 18 years ago and translating her words is Griselda Payne with the Farm Worker Association of Florida. I met with them at the Farm Worker Association office in Apopka, just north of Orlando. We're not using Estella's full name because she's undocumented and is afraid of being deported. She's worried about the new law, especially what it could mean for her teenage daughter who was born here in the United States. Me preocupa que nos lleguen a separar porque... Es, como lo vuelvo a repetir, soy madre soltera, mi hija depende de mí. Eh, mi hija está enferma eh, psicológicamente. Ella tiene, ¿cómo se dice? Le dan psicología porque ¿Depresión? sufre de depresión. Okay. Yes. Ajá. Y eso a mí me preocupa, que, mm -hmm. que me vayan a separar de mi hija. Yeah. I'm very concerned that they could be separating from my daughter because my daughter got like a depression. And um, then I'm really concerned for that. Um, and I don't want to be separated from her. As Della said, some of her colleagues are talking about leaving Florida, but she's going to wait and see what happens. Que, que quiero decir que, que no importa que estemos trabajando bajo el sol, bajo la lluvia, bajo el, la tierra, el aire, todo eso, el frío, pero ahí estamos ahí. She said, I really love what I do. It doesn't matter if it's under the rain or under the heat or any other climatic condition. Uh, because we really want to work. Later in the show, we'll talk with USF professor Elizabeth Aranda, who studies immigrant well-being, and Nancy Palacios with Faith in Florida about immigration policy and the impact of the new law on immigrants, both legal and undocumented, and the organizations that help them. First, though, I spoke with Samuel Vilches-Santiago, the Florida State Director for the American Business Immigration Coalition, about how the law could affect businesses and employees and Florida in general. We talked via Zoom. So I wonder if we could just start by talking about the impact that this may have on business here in Florida. Which businesses are going to be most affected, do you think, and, and how will they be affected? 
currently in the state of Florida, we have a 2.6 unemployment rate. And what that basically means is that we're full employment. This bill, by mandating E-Verify, it will impact industries like agriculture, construction, hospitality, and even healthcare that rely on the labor of undocumented immigrants. In Florida, we have 800,000 undocumented immigrants. Even if 10% of those immigrants and their families were to leave the state, they're going to cause havoc in, in these industries as these industries will lose uh, workers. So how does E-Verify work at the moment? And I wonder what this situation with this new law tells you about how the E-Verify component of this law will play out. So according to the law uh, currently in the state of Florida, actually uh, employers can utilize the I-9 verification form or E-Verify, either or. And what this bill does is it mandates E-Verify for every business that has over 25 employees. So it's a little bit different. And, and the difference between I-9 and E-Verify is that I-9 places the burden of proving their eligibility on the employees. E-Verify places that burden on the employer, right? So it creates additional administrative burdens for the employers to have to follow, which are obviously costly, but also uh, take the burden away from the employee. Is that a good thing then from the point of view of the, uh, the workers? Not necessarily, because the reality is we have hundreds of thousands of people who, who in the state of Florida are undocumented. And what this law will do is that it will likely mean that they're not eligible for work. When they're not eligible for work, our businesses are going to face the consequences and they're not going to be able to do provide the services they're supposed to provide. Is it the agricultural sector where you see this law having the biggest impact? Yeah, agriculture and construction will be the two uh, top industries that will have the most impact uh, based on this legislation uh, because they both rely a lot on the labor of undocumented migrants who've been here for 20, 30 years contributing to our economy. I mean, I'm just wondering from your point of view and from the point of view of the American Business Immigration Coalition, what does it tell you about the state of the economy in Florida? I mean, does it suggest that there are things that need to be fixed if the state economy relies so heavily on undocumented labor? Well, in many ways, right, the current numbers in terms of the economy, the current economic reality that we have in the state of Florida with unemployment being so low, 2.6%. And undocumented migrants still having providing a, a critical labor in the state. What it tells you is American workers and migrants are not competing for the same jobs. We can have both. And the state of Florida has shown that. And that's how we've been able to build a strong economy, both undocumented and documented. But what this law does is that it creates a narrative that the state of Florida is not a welcoming place for any migrant because we have about 900,000 mixed status families in which the kids might be American citizens, but their parents are undocumented. And it really places the burden on them to try to find, you know, a welcoming community, maybe outside of the state of Florida. So we really need to think hard about what this bill actually accomplishes. And it is everyday Floridians, the ones who will pay the cost of this legislation. Right. I'm wondering, though, I mean, is it not reasonable to expect employers to make sure their staff are legally allowed to work here? It is reasonable, but it is also reasonable that someone who's been here for 30 years, 40 years, has some ability to work here legally. And the reality is our federal government has failed. And we can agree that our immigration system is broken. We have a crisis at the border, but we also have a crisis with people who've been here, workers, contributing to our economy for a really long time, and they yet don't have any path to legalization. 
but the solution is not to demonize immigrants. The solution is not to demonize workers. I'm wondering, I mean, there's there's been media reports, Samuel, which have noted there's a degree of leniency when it comes to enforcing this law, at least as far as employers are concerned. How do you see the law being enforced? The law, as it was written, is very vague. And in the floor uh, of the House and the Senate and in community hearings, there were multiple questions to the sponsors of the bill as to how this law will be enforced. And they didn't have any answer. And we've seen now with the law being so vague that at the end of the day, a lot of the enforcement will fall upon local government and local government entities in each of the counties trying to figure out and determine how this law is going to be implemented. In terms of the E-Verify mandate, the Florida Department of Labor is the one who's supposed to be uh, handling the implementation, but we're not sure how that's going to happen. And we've asked, you know, activists have asked, advocates have asked, businesses have asked, business associations, and also members of the, of the legislature asked, and the answers have not been there. So I worry that what's going to happen here is we're going to have different systems of implementation depending on where you are in the state. How then are businesses that rely heavily on immigrant labor, whether documented workers or undocumented workers, how are those businesses responding at this point in time? So I think for a lot of businesses, it was unexpected that this legislation will necessarily pass in in this session. So I think a lot of the businesses and in conversations with them, and especially with the different chambers of commerce, they're trying to figure out what this means for them at this point. Uh, they're very concerned about what's going to happen in the next next year. Uh, and there's a lot of concern, particularly among farm owners, that a lot of the undocumented migrants who do the work in the fields, they're going to skip town uh, in the next session. There, that, there's that worry. There's also a lot of worry in terms of the construction uh, industry uh, in the state of Florida. We've seen anecdotal evidence that there's some job sites that are empty, and that is very concerning on their end. And obviously, the third one is hospitality. There's also a lot of concern there, particularly in regards to people who are working in the hotels. Right. And that's a big deal for Central Florida and the Tampa Bay region, which depend very heavily on tourism. And to your point about empty job sites, I mean, that is anecdotal, but what are you hearing from businesses? Are you hearing businesses that are saying we are losing employees at this point already? Well, businesses were already struggling to find workers before this law was passed. Uh, We've been hearing that for basically two years since the start of the pandemic. When people had to come back to work, some people did not come back to work because they found other jobs. They were already facing that issue. Now, they just think the issue is going to get worse. And and I think they have good reason to believe that that's the case based on what I've also seen on the other side, which is from the employees being extremely scared. We've done several conversations with business owners. We've done several conversations with employees. And it is very clear that a lot of immigrants that have undocumented people in their families are thinking about leaving the state of Florida. And I, I, I do think that the business owners understand this reality. Well, I want to thank you very much for joining us, Samuel Vilcher-Santiago, Florida State Director for the American Business Immigration Coalition. Appreciate your time. Of course. Thank you. You're listening to Florida Matters. We're talking about the state's new immigration law and what it means for Floridians. The conversation continues after the break. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. We're discussing Florida's new immigration law, SB 1718. 
The law takes effect on July 1st. Governor DeSantis says it's needed to combat the effects of illegal immigration, but immigrant advocates say it's causing fear and confusion. For more, we spoke with Elizabeth Aranda, Professor of Sociology and Director of the Immigrant Wellbeing Research Center at USF, and Nancy Palacios, the Deputy Director for Faith in Florida. We spoke via Zoom. Elizabeth, uh, let me start with you. Part of the mission of the center, the uh, Immigrant Wellbeing Research Center at USF, is to translate research into innovative policy solutions that advance the well-being of migrants to the United States. Thinking about this new law in Florida, any thoughts on what this may do, the impact it may have on the well-being of migrants to the United States? Yes, actually, um, we can look at laws that have been passed in states not long ago, and we have a lot of research on the effects of those laws on not just immigrants, but also documented immigrants and U.S. citizens. And we know from that work that the effects are not good. Obviously, there are studies that show poor mental health effects, poor physical health effects in populations, both documented and undocumented. And the research tells us that it also spills over into academic outcomes among middle schoolers, for example. So if, if we take the research, for example, on Arizona's SB 1070, which showed all of those things, and it was a law that was similar in some ways to the law that was passed in Florida, we can pretty much predict that uh, what lies ahead is it's not a good forecast. And what we need to do is try to develop some sort of interventions or aside from repealing the policy altogether to try to bring about greater immigrant well-being during these uh, d- very difficult times. What would those interventions look like? Obviously, the policies aren't going to help. So it's going to fall on community organizations, religious organizations to try to develop community programs that will support immigrants during times where policies aren't supporting them. So that could be starting with just information, providing information that can debunk what this law means for people's lives, that they understand what their rights are starting on July 1st what they can and, and, and don't have to disclose. So right now, I think there's a lot of fear because people don't understand what the law means for them. And so those organizations, I know for a fact, are taking a lead in, in communities in terms of explaining what does this mean for your daily life. And beyond that, then I think it would be great if organizations and, and even people who want to get involved can sort of develop, you know, Maybe it's support groups or programs that can assist families when it comes to getting services that they need or connecting with other families in similar situations so people can help each other out and develop networks that they can rely on. And that's what you do when you don't have access to services or when you're being told that, you know, you're not entitled to something or that you have to basically make yourself vulnerable in order to pursue something that you have a human right to pursue, something like medical care, health care. We need to support each other through other networks in the community then to get the job done. Nancy, I wonder what you're thinking as you're listening to this. I mean, how has Faith in Florida been working with migrant communities to this point, And what does the future look like in light of this new law? Yes, I agree with what Dr. Aranda is sharing in terms of the things that are going to be need, needed in place to 
more than anything, make sure that people have the right information. And so Faith in Florida over the past four weeks has done over 11 community forums where we have done workshops on what the bill actually means and how it's going to affect them. And not surprisingly, there is a lot of misinformation. There is a lot of information in the community of what they thought the law was going to be. Everything from them thinking that they were going to get criminalized for being in the car with someone in Florida, them thinking that someone who doesn't have status can't rent from someone, even to the point of them thinking that their children are not going to be able to go to school because they're undocumented, which is not in this law. So the first thing is getting the information to people through these workshops. Within that training that we do, we also briefly talk over ways that they can protect themselves. And one of the things is like briefly going over what their rights are, what to do if they get pulled over with a police officer, or even if they end up in a detention center, that they still have rights, right? They have a right to an attorney. They have a right to not sign anything, and they have a right to ask to see a judge. There's a lot of fear in these workshops. Like we've trained over 2,000 people in these last four weeks. And as the workshop progresses and as it finalizes, people are still fearful. Don't get me wrong, because the law itself and what passed in it is horrible. But people feel, okay, what I thought it was is not, it's not that, it's not as bad. And the things that are in it are things that I now know what to do if I'm in a situation where that happens. So we have been partnering a lot with congregations and actually the majority of our trainings have been in Catholic uh, congregations that are largely immigrant. And clergy have to play a very particular role in being that first filter of story collecting, you know, mm. because in the moment where we're in, where fear is overwhelming and where when things like this happen, people tend to go back to the shadows and not share what is being done to them in the communities uh, whenever they're declined care or when an employer is mistreating them or threatening them with calling ice on them if they don't work the hours that they're asked to do, et cetera, it's that clergy who may be the first person that hears about it. I wonder too, uh, if I could come back to you for a moment, Elizabeth, when you think about the experience of of migrants in Florida and, and Tampa, Tampa Bay specifically, how does the experience of undocumented migrants fit into the overall story? And I wonder what your thoughts are on the broader impacts of this law and this sort of spillover effects on migrants who, who may be here with paperwork or maybe here legally as well. Like, How do you see that fitting together? You know, my research since 2010 shows that young adults, you know, struggle with these issues of what do I do when I get out of high school? I don't have papers. I can't go to college. DACA gave them some relief, but now they struggle with the fact that DACA might be rescinded. So this anxiety tied to these legal categories that the state has created that has been there for some time. What I think is new with this particular law is that in it's, it's part of a slate of laws that were passed this year that have been meant to marginalize and exclude communities. And so this is just one of many communities that are ostracized in my analysis as a result of this legislative session. And it's a matter of in, in this particular case of life and death, because, you know, my research shows, for example, that during the COVID pandemic, 
even uh, people who had DACA, right, who have like a semi-legal status, they reported that they were apprehensive about getting vaccinations and if they got sick going to the hospital uh, because they feared not getting the attention, the medical attention they needed, and that their families felt that way, their mixed status families. And what I mean by that is people within the family that had different legal statuses. Now, that was before this law. Okay, so now add this law to it. That means that the likelihood is that even more of them aren't going to seek medical care if they need it, because the mere reality that someone is going to ask you for your legal status is already chilling. And you might have the right to decline, but even declining might be in your mind an admission of acknowledging that you're undocumented. And so this is, it is a matter of life and death because this could lead to untreated illnesses that could escalate and lead to really bad outcomes. And so in the public health community, I mean, this is why so many health organizations and medical organizations oppose this law. Um, so unfortunately, the fear and the chilling effects, it's not new, but it's definitely there's something unique about this moment in time that's creating sort of a, a ratcheting up of this fear that immigrant communities have been living in for at least, you know, two decades. What would you say to people, whether the lawmakers who helped craft this law or other people who support it and say there is a problem with undocumented people coming across the border, we need to fix it, and therefore we need legislation like this? Like, what's the argument against that? What I would add is that folks who want to address the immigration issue should run for U.S. Congress and should pass U.S. immigration laws that apply to everyone so that people could actually adjust their status. There are many families who are now coming over who are applying for asylum, and that is great. And there are families like my parents who have been here 27, 30 years and have been waiting and getting criminalized through this law could actually get in the way of their process and the line that they're, the fake line that they're in to adjust their status. So that's what I would say to people who say, well, we have a big problem. Okay, let's solve it through policy. There's clearly a reason why they're not wanting to change immigration laws and adjust people who have been here for long periods of time. And it's it allows people to benefit from cheap labor and treating people you know, without status, however they want. Nancy, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the human trafficking aspects of this law. And I'm wondering what that means for organizations like Faith in Florida that are trying to help migrants. Yes. Yeah, so thankfully, the law was changed where we can work with immigrants within the state of Florida and that won't be penalized. But there are many congregations that we work with uh, that take family trips, families to summer camp, uh, the Catholic Church being one of them. I was just doing a training with them about two weeks ago, and they have these summer camps where they're like, what are we supposed to do? Because we take people to Georgia, we take people to Alabama. We have folks coming into the state of Florida to join trainings that we do here. And the answer that an attorney gave them is, you all could be liable. And you could be liable all the way to the bishop because anyone, the way that, once again, the law is written, anyone who has knowledge of 
the transporting of immigrants who are unlawful into the state of Florida. So it really puts congregations in a position, which is who we mostly work with. Um, does that mean that now congregations have to find out their members' immigration status? That is bizarre to me. But then also the fact that folks who are unlawful can't actually practice their faith how they would normally practice their faith because they're going to be excluded from activities in their congregations. And so I think that once again, the unknown and the, the lack of us knowing how it's going to be applied only adds another layer, right, of uncertainty and fear and trauma to people. Elizabeth, what kind of policy solutions would you like to see lawmakers aim for to to advance the lot of migrants here in Florida? If If this new law doesn't seem to be something that's going to help migrants, whether here legally or undocumented, what would you like to see? To begin with, the law needs to be repealed. But I think at a broader level, we we need federal legislation, like Nancy said. You know, the last time we had a sweeping uh, immigration bill was 1986, the Immigration Reform and Control Act. And that did a lot to move immigration policy a step ahead uh, to modernize it, basically, so that it could respond to the economy's needs, the workforce's needs, the labor market, but also taking into account humanitarian reasons. And we haven't had a piece of legislation like that since. And that is a long time. And I believe that, unfortunately, immigration is one of those issues that is sort of a consequence or, or a, a victim of the gridlock in Congress. I think we were close in 2010. And unfortunately, the deal that they were brokering fell apart. But if there's a way that they can negotiate some sort of compromise, and I think it's always possible to meet in the middle somehow, then we might see the needle move a little bit toward a humanitarian bill that can take into account, you know, what are the economy's needs, but also let's treat immigrants like human people. I mean, if anything, my research has told me over the years is that immigrants want what we all want. We just want to be safe be able to do right by our families. And the decision to migrate is not a decision anyone takes lightly. Nobody wants to leave their home. You know, you do it because there are compelling reasons to do so. I would just uh, say that the importance of understanding this law is that it's going to impact everyone in, in the state of Florida. It's not going to just impact those who are undocumented because you may be thinking that you are doing the right thing by going on a church trip or a community trip outside and don't know, and you get criminalized. Or you may have a business, right, that you have been running for years and you have undocumented folks working for you. All these things that, like, it really is going to take every single one of us in the state, citizen, non-citizen, resident, to really advocate for the repeal of this law and to pass policy that is, you know, humane and that can treat people with dignity in order for us to reach something positive. I think that there, if there's anything that people are noticing now, just in my conversations outside of the immigrant community, is how how they see, you know, the impact in their families or in their communities that maybe they hadn't thought about before, because it was just so common, like these people who may be undocumented were just a part of their community. They didn't realize that they were undocumented. Right. But now that they're leaving, now that they're speaking up, folks are realizing, oh, I could have done more. 
Well, I want to thank you both for sharing your insights. Elizabeth Aranda, Professor of Sociology and Director of the Immigrant Wellbeing Research Center at the University of South Florida. Professor Aranda, thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. And Nancy Palacios, Deputy Director for Faith in Florida. Nancy, thank you so much as well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And that's Florida Matters for this week. You can find us online at wusfnews.org or via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Florida Matters. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.